0: Motor Mouths, Ditch and Bud, on News Talk 98.9, The Roar of Memphis.
1: And welcome into to the Motor Mouths. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we are the Motor Mouths, News Talk 98.9, The Roar of Memphis. Thanks for uh, tuning in again this week. We always uh, want to encourage you to interact with us uh a couple of different ways, it's really easy if you choose to uh, text, you can do that. Our Rick's Powder Coding text line is any time of day. If you th- think of something maybe tomorrow or, or later in the week that we talked about, uh, shoot us a text. The number is 683-0989, 683-0989. Put a 901 in front of that. Of course, we're all over social media.
2: You can hit us up on Twitter. I am at Bud Motormouth, and you can find us at themotormouths.com, and you can email me at Bud. Are, uh, budroar at gmail.com dot com and uh, shout out to uh, Greg Stokes for reaching out to us talking about oil changes. Uh, Zach, good luck with your third shift, man. I hope you uh, hope you're enjoying the show. And uh, Chris Crump, thanks for showing us the pictures of your Mopar, dude. I want to see more of that thing. If you got if you have projects, we want to see them. Send them to us. Post them on the uh, on the Facebook. Uh, the Motor nine eight nine on Facebook. Let's let's see those projects. It's winter time. Yeah. It's it's getting ready for that uh, car show season coming. up I'd like up. to hear
1: about challenges with your projects. Uh, we don't have all the answers for sure. But it's uh, we 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 talk with people who sometimes uh, maybe do have some answers or connect people. You know that's another thing about this show that's uh, turning out to be uh, really cool for me is the connections that we're building within the car community. But we want the oh, yeah. we want the motor mouths to be more than just connections to classic cars and to uh, we want it to be a connection for shops for people who want to do a few things on their own, be able to diagnose stuff on your own and uh, learn a little bit about cars, but also, you know, maybe connect some of these car shows, some of these, uh, uh, you know, Hot Rods on Beal guys, some of these guys who who like to have uh, coffee and cars on Saturdays. Yeah, these
2: shows should be good this year. We're finally hopefully coming out of this uh, corona nonsense, and we can can have some big car shows and a lot to do, a lot to talk about. But um, one thing I wanted to bring up this week was um, something we were talking about uh, a little while ago that, if you've got a project car or any car, not just your project car, you really should have a binder for it. Like, you really should be keeping track of anything and everything that happens to your car. And I've got a binder for every one of my cars. Now, every time I go to the shop. How important is that?
1: For, it, for somebody who just buys a new car and wants to really meticulously take care of it. How is how important is it even from something brand new off the lot?
2: Well, I mean it's great because you're you're keeping track of all the maintenance. There's all these maintenance intervals. There's more than just do the oil changes. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to change your coolant out. You got to change your transmission fluid out. Uh, you got you know have it aligned regularly. Rotate your tires. All that stuff and keeping track of it is just. Uh, just a great idea for, it's great for your mechanic. Uh, we can ask Scott about that later. But uh, having, I know when I worked at the shop, when I had a regular customer, I always appreciated being able to go into their history and seeing when they had things done. And it's a great way to maintain the car and extend the life of it by monitoring it. And you got to think resale. When If you have a binder filled with all the work history that's ever been done with the car, that's that that's going to add a lot of confidence to your buyer when they're looking at buying it,
1: keeping track of your car's maintenance is goes way beyond just the little sticker with the three thousand mile interval reminder in it. Right, uh, it really does, and uh, there, most people that's how they that's how they think about it. Well, when was the last? That's why I asked you a question. When was the last time? Think about this uh, for a second here. When was the last time you? Had your oil changed? Do you know? Can you remember? Was it last month, three months ago? Do you not remember? I mean, these are things that if you just jotted it down in a binder, even just a little notebook and threw it in the glove box so that you just had some sort of record to keep track of it, uh, that would help, and it would go a long way. Oh, Certainly When it in, in this business of, you know, the the resale in used cars right now is on fire, and that could that could be the difference that, for you for a little more money. If you're, if
2: you're selling direct to somebody and they're on the fence, I don't know, and yeah. you hand them a binder and they they can see literally everything you did to it while you had it. Um, that's gonna that that could be the the thing that makes the decision for them. You know, I I know whenever I go to buy a car, I always want to know. You know, you you, you go to the Carfax, but that's only as you know, you you gotta right. it's as reliable as it is. But yeah. you go to that and you want to see. You know, it's, I mean, especially yeah, if it's been in an accident or any of that. But still, just you know, um. I remember seeing a post on online. It was like, um, it was an HHR like mine, and it was for sale for like for like six grand. And someone was like, it was like forty seven thousand miles, and they're like, you know, this looks like a great deal. They're like, yeah, but think about it. What what, if it could be forty six thousand miles? What if it's only ever had one oil change? You know, good point. So there and I've seen that happen. I saw a truck that ha- it was on 38, 39,000 miles. It was on its first oil change. It came out like sludge. That yeah. engine's doomed. Well, you know, you know
1: but there's always that uh, there, there's that a- age old adage that you're buying someone else's problems. Yeah. Uh, same thing with girls, man. You date <laughs> someone else's girlfriend. It's like, wow. Uh, you, you're dating someone else's problems. I
2: mean, it's the same thing with the love affair with cars. In gaming, we call that picking up off someone else's save game. Oh, there you go. There <laughs> it's you a you solid go. reference, trust me. So, but uh, we got a good show today. We got two different Steves. We got uh, St- uh, Steve from the um, Bonham Auction yeah, coming Steven, in to talk to us Steven about Manu- uh, yeah, that. Steve, Steve yeah. Steven Mancuso, uh, excuse me.
1: Steven, yes. Steven Mancuso, who works with Bonham Auto Auctions, and we're talking about high-level, high-dollar collector cars, which uh, it's going to be fascinating to hear some of his stories. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, something I stumbled upon this week, there is legislation that has already been voted on, and it's called the kill switch. In all new cars, they want to put a kill switch in it.
2: This thing's a nightmare. And
1: we are going to talk with uh, uh, one of the editors of Motorius, which is a, uh, a, a, it's a, a motor uh, blog, and there's a story that he wrote on it. And actually, I tell you what, uh, Stephen Sims wrote the a piece on the infrastructure bill that includes the kill switch in cars and it's getting a lot of traction a lot of people are like whoa wait a minute I didn't know this he's gonna join us on the phone here to talk about that as well it is uh it's gonna be a great motor mouth show so stick around we got a lot coming up for you this is the motor mouths I'm ditch I'm bud and we are the motor mouths on news talk 98.9 the roar of Memphis
0: The Motor Mouths, Ditch and Bud. Here are your messages. You have 30 minutes to move your car. You have 10 minutes. Your car has been impounded. Your car has been crushed into a cube. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. (coughs) Hello, Mr. Burns' office. Is it about my cube? On News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis.
1: And welcome back to The Motor Mouths. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we are The Motor Mouths. We appreciate you listening every week. We encourage you to uh, follow and communicate through all the different means that we have. The first and foremost, and the easiest one, is the Rick's Powder Coating Text Line, 683 9 Put a 901 in front of that, 683 9
2: Social media. You can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Bud Motormouth. And you can find us on the website, themotormouths.com. And feel uh-huh. free to email us at budroar at gmail.com. And I am Ditch on Twitter,
1: at I am Ditch. One thing we love to do here on the Motor Mouths is sort of span, uh, the, uh, the, 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 span the horizon with all kinds of different things and educate not only you, the listener, but Bud and I as well. We, I, I, there is a, uh, you know, we got into a couple of weeks ago, the whole concept of uh you know building cars from the ground up bud you have spent a lot of time at some of the classic car shows around town and there is a fine line between a uh, a classic car that's been fully restored classic cars that are in mint conditions and these cars that uh, are sort of Frankenstein together to kind of be a classic in their own way, shape, or form. And through some of all of the conversations that we've had the last few weeks, uh, uh, some, some very interesting people have surfaced. Yeah. I know I've gotten, an, I've gotten, gotten obsessed
2: with uh, i gotten obsessed with resto mods, but uh, that's not what we're talking about today. We got we got Stephen here uh, coming from the bottom Auctions. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Good morning, Stephen. Steven
1: Mancuso, man. You, we we appreciate you uh, coming in and chatting with us here uh talk to us first of all about uh bottoms for uh, i mean it's a great name because of uh the great led zeppelin drummer uh (laughs) (laughs) which i'm sure has nothing to do with that (laughs) Uh, no no i I think we were around a
3: little bit earlier than that yeah
1: but uh so talk to us first of all about what bottoms auto auctions is all about what you specialize in it's it's not just something that if i'm looking for a daily driver that i'm going to go to your auction for right
3: yeah you don't find too many daily drivers with us um so we uh, we really specialize sort of in the high end of uh, of the collector car market, uh, whether it be modern uh, you know modern supercars, hypercars, whatever they're calling them these days, and uh, and also you know back to the very early cars of uh, of really the beginning of, of the automotive world. So we have everything in between, and um, and you can you know at any of our auctions you'll find uh, something that is you know within normal people's price range as well so we, we certainly have you know affordable cars that come through the sale and um what's
1: the criteria though if i want to sell a car through your auction is there a specific criteria i got to meet
3: you know i i wouldn't say there's a specific criteria there's uh you know there's it, one it's got to be collectible okay. um and uh typically I, I i look at cars that are you know on the low end probably fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars um i don't have very many of those in any one sale we just don't have time I got you. um we do a one day sale typically unless we're doing a standalone collection and um and so whenever i look at cars for consignment i look for rarity uh quality and uh and it all boils down to a physical inspection so i have to go wherever those cars are so
1: if somebody like david coverdale from white calls you and says hey i want to sell i want to sell my jag that i used in uh in uh one of my tonic attain white videos you're gonna go you're gonna go to la he's gonna take it out no, of the i'm gonna storage. say yes right now you're just gonna say <laughs> yes gonna oh, let's do it
3: let's but do it I, i'm uh, in our upcoming sale we've got a we've got a sale coming up at the end of the month uh at a, in uh, scottsdale arizona it's one of our flagships uh, sales of the year and um and one of the cars that we have in there is the the Buick Roadmaster from Rain Man. And, oh, nice! Uh, oh, wow! So, Fifty
2: four, I think, was yeah, that right?
3: Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's great. It belongs to Wayne Carini right now, and and uh, and so he he called and said, you know, look, I, I think I want to sell this one, and uh, I said yes. And and really don't care anything else about that. So if, if
2: it has some kind of like uh, fame attached to it, like it's from a movie or something like that, what does that usually do to the due to the price, or do you just find more people bidding on it? Or well, that's
3: that's always you know it can be a misconception. We just had uh, um, over in Quail, we we do a, an auction in Quail every year in August, and we had um, Tom Hanks brought three vehicles for him. Uh, he had, or actually four. It was a Ford F four fifty dually that he pulled a. Um, Classic Airstream trailer that he used in every one of his movies. He would fly that thing wherever they would go, and that would be his 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 that, trailer, it's for, his home. Yeah, his, and, his, and he would live wow. in it. And so he left it all as he used it. He had stickers from every movie that he had had on there, and it was Saving Private Ryan and all these you know classic oh, Money Pit and wow. all this stuff. And he traveled all over the country with this thing, and and uh, and flew it all over the world occasionally for for movies. And so now he what he had said to me was that. Um, the, uh, the movie process has gotten much faster, so they don't spend near as much time on a set. Right. So for him, it was not feasible to continue to do that. So uh, so he offered up for sale, and it, it did bring more money. It, it, I think it brought somewhere in the neighborhood of about $270,000. But a 37-foot Airstream right. in classic form with all the bells and whistles yeah. um, is going to bring close to two hundred anyway. Right. So um, he had a Tesla that sold for uh, about 10% more than what they normally would sell for. And Anything
1: uh, special about the Tesla other than no, it was Tom Hanks? No, uh,
3: it, was, it was a unique color. It was this odd-looking green uh, with tan interior, which you don't see very often. That's odd, yeah. um, and, uh, and the dually brought retail. So it was uh, he, he had a FJ Cruiser with an LS swap. We were just talking about that. Um, <laughs>
2: everything ls swap these days and uh <laughs> yeah.
3: and and it did really well i think you got 150 grand for it so that was that was the only one that that probably you could have said maybe it had something to do with the fact that it owned it and when the guy the the, the winning bidder came over we was i was showing him the truck and he says uh uh who owned this truck <laughs> i was like well you just missed the whole point of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh so some of these guys just don't care so and
1: and when you get calls to sell these these things from people like tom hanks it's not always uh and i would imagine it's not always because hey uh, i need the money you don't ask why you're selling it do you
3: Uh, you you know sometimes you do and and in in his case he gave everything to charity so uh, a lot of these guys um especially somebody like hanks um he he doesn't need that money. Right, um, right. It makes no difference I mean, I can see him.
1: if, like, uh, you know, maybe uh, Vince Neal from Motley Crue needed to sell some of his cars. Yeah, <laughs> Vince Neal probably. Some of those yeah, situations <laughs> are,
3: you know, they're counting every penny. So. Right. Uh, uh,
1: what, what in the – how long we're, – we're talking with Stephen Mancuso from Bonham uh, Auctions. What are – what is, in the experience you've had uh, with this auction house, what's the – the, the one car that you just couldn't believe either it got what it got or that it that it, you did that you were part of that whole deal. Well, I I, so, I mean you're full I'll, of stories. I'll, I'm sure. Yeah,
3: and, and for me it's actually kind of personal because I, I got into this because um, I sold the autom- uh, Tupelo Automobile Museum over in Tupelo Mississippi, and I was asked by the owner to help her with that process, and so um, we had a pretty eclectic collection of cars there, and that was that's how I got into Bonhams and um and i learned a lot in that in that you know two-year process and and one of those things was that uh estimates make a whole big difference and so this collection was uh 200 and right at 200 cars 187 cars and um we had a, a just really a, a tucker a Duesenberg you know some really fantastic cars that were in wow. this collection yeah um 1899 knox that was this three-wheel silly looking thing that we got running in about 20 minutes and um and in the back of the room, there was this Volkswagen SP2, which was a Brazilian-made Volkswagen that had um, zero power whatsoever. I think it was like 75 horsepower. And uh, But the car looked great. It was The body was just fantastic. And everybody that came in prior to the auction asked about, you know, let me see this. I want to see the Tucker. I want to see this. I want to see that and then
2: right before sure the tucker leave, gets a lot of attention yeah.
3: yeah yeah the tucker was great um and then they you know before they leave they wanted, hey i want to see that sp2 and we had that that estimate on that car was five to ten thousand dollars so um so everybody wanted to see this car and we had you know probably 70 people that had made previous bids on that car and uh i mean i think the highest selling one at the time that we could find was like fourteen thousand dollars um and this one sold for 30,000 at the hammer. So, um, oh wow. So those there's always, you know, some of that. And some of that is strategic and and it, you know, it makes a big difference of of what an estimate looks like and people always want to know estimates. And some of the auction houses have completely gotten away from estimates because So how
2: how do you how do you how do you give a car an estimate like what's the process there
1: so it's uh, a car is worth what someone's willing to pay
2: yeah exactly
3: it's what, it's what i, what I always hear right Look, it's a guideline and it yeah. doesn't have anything to do especially right now with with, with what the car is going to sell for mm-hmm. um but what it can do is get more people interested in the vehicle so mm-hmm. uh and that can work in in many different ways but when you have something like you know a, a 49 tucker Um, that car is one of 50 cars that are, that are out there, uh, 47, I think that still exist. And this car had a really unique story. Um, and it was really important to get the estimates right on that car. Right. And so, uh, I felt like the car was, was going to be close to 2 million. And, um, and we, we had a lot of conversations about where do you put the estimate because the car doesn't run and drive. Um, it's sitting low, so the suspension needs to be worked on. We know that. By a
2: handful of mechanics in the country that are willing to touch there, that thing. Yeah.
3: There is one guy that really you can send it to and know that it's going to be done correctly. And, um, and so there's, there's always that, you know, you, you look at that and you go, well, you look at all the previous cars that have sold. And Tucker's maybe a little bit easier because there's very few, you know, they're, they're all recorded. You can find all that information. A 32 Ford, you know, um, is a little more challenging. And you look at what the, you know, what does it cost to build it to where it is? Um, and, and that conversation takes place with the seller. And you say, you know, look, what do you want out of the car? What are, you, what are your expectations? And then you try to find a, a, an area where you can say, uh, I'm comfortable to let it go at this price. And uh, I'm comfortable, uh, and then I'm comfortable to offer it at that price. And sometimes it doesn't work. And, and if a seller is so far out, then I don't want to set him up for disappointment. At the same time, you know there could be that situation that one, two guys in the room that are willing to do it, but it, it's a gamble, and it's always a gamble when it comes it's to very auction. emotional
1: too. Not it only is. from the purchasers' side of it, but from people who are selling some of these cars, oh. they're incredibly emotional attachments to them, yeah. and they may come in and say, "Well, Stephen, you know, I I love this thing. It's been generations in my. I think I should get this much for it." And you, you know, sometimes you probably have to walk them off the ledge and say, "That's not realistic, dude." Well, I mean, I know that you're married to it, but come on. Man.
3: And and you know these these things are a labor of love for a lot of people and yeah. and uh, and I run into that a lot and people customize their cars and they customize it to their taste and you know the guy you know says well I, I want two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for my car and I say well you, I know the perfect buyer and I'm looking at him you know it's <laughs> it's, it's like that's you're the guy you're and it. you spent that money
1: it's unbelievable man what a great I could we could talk with Steven for all day man we do for a motor mouse show we just haven't even gotten to the Rolls stores. Royces Packards oh, and uh, Auburns <laughs> and Cords yet. Find out more about the auctions with Bottoms. It's called Bottoms.com. you got an upcoming auction in Scottsdale, Arizona the end of the uh, month, and you can find out all the stuff online and, and bid online as well if you want, right? Absolutely. All right. We are the Motor Mouths. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we're back coming up next after this on News Talk 98.9, The Roar of Memphis.
0: The Motor Mouths. Ditch and Bud. You don't need a license to drive a sandwich. On News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis.
1: I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we are the Motor Mouths on News Talk 98.9. Appreciate you listening again this week. Encourage you to uh, reach out and communicate with us. Our uh, text number is 901-683-0989. Question, comment, you want to add to what you've heard today. Suggestion for something you want to hear more about, you can do it there. You can also do it on social media.
2: Hit me up on Twitter at Bud Motormouth. You can email at bud bud Roar at gmail.com. I gotta get something less difficult to say, man. <laughs> and then uh you can find us on Facebook, the Motormouth's nine eight nine. And of course, TheMotorMiles.com.
1: Uh, that's it. The Motor miles. you can reach me on Twitter at IamDitch. I uh, had a conversation earlier in the week on the morning show here on News Talk with Stephen Sims. Stephen uh, had posted a piece on legislation that was passed in the infrastructure bill, and it's one of these where, you know, you get a piece of legislation that's 2,000, 2,500 pages long. Most people, uh, even the politicians, don't read through it before they vote on it. Most people have no idea what's in it. They just know that it's gonna fix the roads, the bridges and the Wi-Fi. Well, there's other things in there. and one of those things that really caught my eye was Steven Sims piece on motorious.com about the kill switch in all new cars. and Stephen is on the phone with us right now. How you doing, Stephen?
4: All right, how are you doing?
1: We're doing great, man. and we appreciate you jumping on and, and talking a little bit more at length about the kill switch. Uh, before we get into that, though, le- I'd like to introduce our audience here in the Mid-South to Motorious. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and where people can uh, find you.
4: Well, Motorious is a, a collector and classic car site. We're enthusiasts. Um, I mean, we're journalists, but first of all, we're car enthusiasts. So we're trying to help preserve the, the hobby and pass it down to the next generation, uh, teach them some appreciation both old cars as well as to highlight newer cars that we think are worthwhile for enthusiasts to collect and appreciate
1: a noble um, cause yes yeah someone's got to do it Steven and, 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 and we're glad that it's you No, there's a lot of good, <laughs> a lot of good information on the site uh, just current news stories uh, uh, as well as long as it's uh, as long as it's got a motor man it, it's gonna be on notorious and um, I uh, We talked a little bit about last week about the electric car business, which is, uh, you know, it's kind of on the verge of booming, or would you say the electric car business is already booming?
4: Um, I'd say it's on the verge. In my opinion, the big hang-up has always been with electric cars, the batteries. Right. So once, once they iron that detail out, it will start to really move. But in the meantime, it's growing, but not as aggressively as some people might want to portray
1: so, with the with the electric car market comes uh, the advancements, the increased usage in computer technology in cars, and uh, with that comes the hackability. And we've heard some stories, uh, anecdotal or not, of of Teslas getting hacked into, software getting accessed uh, by the bad guys. Um, and so when you hear about something like a kill switch in your car, you think, well, geez, that, that, anybody could hack into my car and shut it down. But it, it goes a little bit further beyond that. So let's let's start with the legislation and uh, where it sits in the infrastructure bill and a little bit of detail from you, Stephen, about the kill switch in all new cars.
4: Right. Okay. Well, um, as you said, it, it's in the infrastructure bill uh, that passes the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Uh, most people didn't realize this was passed. They they think it's still sitting in Congress, um, but it, it was passed the House back in July. Um, then it was passed in the Senate in August, uh, but they made modifications or amendments to it. So it was punted back to the House in early November. They uh, passed it uh, with the, the changes and amendments to the bill, and then it was presented to President Biden, and he signed it into law on the 15th of November. So uh the the section that um is what they're calling the kill switch is a uh, section 24 uh, 220 and what it's termed as is an impaired driving technology so it ostensibly is to keep people from driving drunk or under the influence of narcotics uh which is a good thing
2: yeah i don't think anybody but, wants to encourage that that's for sure Every yeah. go with those good intentions
4: yeah always always as they say good intentions that paves the pathway so But the the problem is that uh, how do you define impairment um, and how would the car measure impairment? And it's not spelled out in the bill. In fact, it's pretty much that power is handed over to the secretary of transportation who currently is Pete Buttigieg. So he and the people under him Would decide this.
2: Yeah, I know. I know. I we were were talking about this, and uh, after I read the article, I was like, Oh, so I'm gonna swerve to miss a cat on the road, and then my car is gonna pull me over.
4: Possibly. Um, there, there has been some talk that this would involve even installing breathalyzers in the cars. Again, the legislation is vague,
2: so that could be a possibility.
1: See, this is more of a reason for someone to love a classic car.
2: Right every time every time they come up with stuff like this I want I I I figure I'll stock the garage with older cars I'm not buying anything after like '96 was my cutoff for the longest time because in when I lived in Illinois if your car was made before 1996 you didn't have to take the emissions test so you didn't have to go and do uh, you know every other year where they plug into your computer and make sure it's running the way they want it to and everything and now i don't have to put up with that down here in memphis i like that
1: well what's interesting to me about this is uh it opens the door uh, again here we go with that sneaky well it's for your safety and uh they they've left the door wide open for interpretation there's uh not a lot of detail behind it other than let's just put it in there let's put the drunk driver kill switch in cars uh and the, if I understand it correctly, the car may have the technology to decide based on your erratic driving whether it wants to shut you down or not rather than a police officer. Or I may just be like, Steven, I saw you speeding. I'm going to shut your car off, you know, if I'm a family member and I have some sort of code. I mean, how, how, how far does this go and how accessible is it by a third party to actually shut my car off?
4: That's a good question. The speculation is that there will be a back door in there for law enforcement to get in. And, like you said, to shut down a car if they decide that you're driving erratically or you're fleeing them, which I think most people say, well, yeah, that's a good thing. But that back door could be exploited by hackers, and hackers could randomly shut your car off or, uh, um, make it so you can't start your car unless you send them money. And they've done it to people with their, their phones and computers and websites and such.
2: And things we've seen with ransomware? I mean, yeah. can we see things like that with it with coming along with this?
4: Yeah, I mean, well, it happened with an oil pipeline. So, it's definitely a possibility
1: could you imagine that if if somebody hacked into let's say onstar and said we're going to shut down every person who subscribes to onstar unless we get five million dollars and all of a sudden you have all these cars shutting down on the highways right i'm right right in the middle of the commute yeah yeah that that alone is enough to say we got to put the brakes on this uh until we can either uh just you know 86 the idea or come up with a better way to do it um
2: yeah, so what what can we do at this point
1: well here's what you do bud i mean this sounds like one of the you know in monster truck racing they have the re- little remote control thing so that if the monster truck gets out of control there's a guy who's sitting in the stands and he can kill it that way i mean you i could just see the i guess what the the, the police would have the codes to your car is that what we're thinking here Stephen? or how, how would police so be able to? What I yeah. Saw, yeah.
4: Yeah, it's unclear, um, because this has never been done before, so it it really depends on how the Secretary of Transportation decides it should be done, or, you know, people under him, so uh, I don't know if it was just federal law enforcement, local, no one knows.
1: A lot of questions, and when you register your car, they, they will attach some sort of a kill switch code to your car, probably, with your VIN number, and that will go in some database somewhere. And uh, if if uh, you know you're involved in some sort of high speed chase or something, uh, police have that code, and I, I guess they can they can, can shut it off, shut yeah, it all down. Yeah.
2: Uh, we should be clear; it's it's supposed to go into effect what in five years on new cars. Yeah. I, we saw something similar with this. We, I know we've talked about this. We saw something similar with the tire pressure sensors. In 2005, they passed a law that every car produced in America had to have pressure sensors inside the tire. But since that technology was available, which I think that's a good thing, because a lot of people don't get out the little pen thing and test their tire pressure. But that's a whole different story than giving someone remote access. Yeah, that's to not your shutting car. my car off. But if they're, got a, a low they're tire. not uh, like that. They're not going retroactive. They're not, at least not yet. They're not making you pull in your, uh, you know. Uh, 2001 chevy and install this thing but again that uh, it, could we see that coming down the line
4: yeah that's it's definitely a possibility because they may decide that and there's, there's been talk in some circles that older cars are uh, problematic we need to get them off the roads they're dangerous such, which we're definitely not fans of
1: no yeah, no and, that's, and i don't want to hear that older <laughs> cars that are built stronger Uh, and have more strength to them in collisions. Obviously, some guy in a Tesla does not want to be hit by somebody who is, uh, you know, driving a uh, uh, Mercury Grand Marquis from 1997 or something that's got some strength to it, you know? yeah. Um, I I don't know. This this is a very interesting uh, topic, and and there's a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, And as we uh, get closer to the dates, the kill date of the kill switch, which uh, anything after, what, 2026, Stephen, is that right?
4: around there it depends on when they decide to really put this into motion
1: yeah so how do you uh how do you think car manufacturers will respond to this or are responding to this
4: so far they've been uh, as far as i know publicly silent about the whole infrastructure bill um but what i know about automakers is most of them are probably in favor of this the more legislation, the better. The more regulation, the better. And why they, is they that? Like it. I
1: mean, why? Because why? if I'm an automaker, I don't want a lot of legislation. I would think, well, anyway. Well, you,
4: you would think not, no. But here's the thing. is so These automakers are humongous, and they have humongous government compliance entities inside them. And so they can comply with all sorts of new regulations with relative ease. But if you're you know, trying to start up a, a new automaker in Tennessee, let's say— uh, and you're trying to comply with all these regulations, you can't because you just don't have the resources. So it keeps competition from entering the market. So the automakers have a stranglehold.
1: Uh, where do you think we're going to be in the car world by 2030? How many, what do you think the percentage of electric cars on the roads will be? Oof,
4: boy, you know, I learned a long time ago that trying to design the future is problems. Um, <laughs> I, You know, if I had to make a guess, I'm probably going to be wrong. Twenty to 30 percent but yeah. i don't know
1: so we got a long way to I, go I be,
4: yeah i don't think it's going to be a sudden adoption like how some people are talking about this revolution i mean the the adoption of the automobile itself was slow yeah and i think this will be similarly slow
1: all right steven sims we appreciate it motorist.com is where you find his work and uh when we uh have some more to chat with you about we certainly want you to reach out to us anytime we'll get you back on here on the motor miles all right thanks Stephen.
0: Right. Sounds
1: good. All right, thank you. Find it again at motorious.com. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we are the Motor Mouths on News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis.
0: The Motor Mouths, Ditch and Bud. He's us. I'm scared. <laughs> Come on, man, move this thing. I can't. It's GO On News <laughs> Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis.
1: And welcome back. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. We are the Motor Mouths here on Newstalk 98.9. We've uh, uh, the things that we're talking about today. Of course, classic cars. We had Stephen on with uh, Bottom Auto Auctions, uh, classic car auctions. And one thing that he pointed out that's important, and Bud and I touched on this earlier. Bud's a big advocate for keeping a diary of your car, especially if you've got a classic car. And as Stephen pointed out with Bottom uh, Auto Auctions, that uh, sometimes uh, what is the value of the car is the story behind
2: it and sometimes the only way to document that story is through a binder a binder or a collection of the paperwork going back to you know anything you can get your hands on i remember my uh, my buick i had everything from the data card to uh from when it rolled out of the factory to like every single bit of maintenance that was done to it and that was that was huge when i bought it that made a big difference for me and i think it's just a great idea for any car, not just I mean, especially classics, but uh, even your daily driver, keeping a binder that maintains all the paperwork for your car is just one of those. No reason not to do it.
1: And it doesn't always mean that it's going to get you more money when it's resale time, but it certainly can't hurt. Now, this doesn't have to be for somebody. Let's you're listening right now. You're like, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a a, a classic Mustang. Why do I need one of these things? Well we got Scott again on the show with us here today from the Shop of Memphis, that 1635 Bonnie Lane, uh, just off Germantown Parkway. And uh, Scott, from a mechanic's point of view, if I bring a car to you, how important is it for me to come in and say, oh, and by the way, here's my journal or here's my log of everything I've done to the car thus far?
0: Well, that just just helps me out a lot in the idea of what the car's been through or what it's not been through or... How it's been maintained. It's a, yeah, it's very important. A company that I used to work for and drove a van every day, we wrote down literally every single thing gas, oil change, literally everything in, like you're calling it a binder. Uh, and we was able to keep up with literally everything. It didn't matter what it was. If we did anything to that van, we wrote it down in a book. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool to do that.
2: I know um, what—I was talking about this on Jake's show. I keep uh, a—I even go so far as to keep a log of every time I fill up gas. I write down how much gas I put in it, how much I spent. Completely anal about it. Yeah. Uh, But— But— it's
1: important, I think, to do it even beyond the oil changes. And you know, some people say, "Well, I keep a daily, or I keep a log in my car." It's that little sticker up in the up left windshield that tells me when I need my oil
2: change. <laughs> or, or what they say is, "Oh, I I keep a log of all the stuff in my car. It's somewhere in the glove box, and you yeah. open it up, and all this paper falls out, and you're shuffling through it. Not a good, and also, you know, not a good way to maintain your warranties because I, I, it's been my experience that the shop's not going to tell you if you have the warranty. You got to tell them you have the warranty. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so it, it does help. The other, the other thing. That uh, is important. Scott, do you find uh, people often, when they come in to get their car worked on, that they have no idea uh, generally about anything about their car?
0: Uh, that's, um, that's I can call that a 50-50, really. Some people know what they want. Some people actually diagnose a lot of their own stuff, and they're sometimes right. Mm-hmm. But some people walk in and say, I know how to put the key in the ignition and turn it on, and that's it. Yeah. And put gas in it. Yeah, <laughs> keep and, it going.
1: And I bring this up because uh, these are the people who are driving around in cars that well it, it just it, and I've been driving it forever. I haven't done anything to it. It just it just keeps driving, but guess what? It's not going to do that forever and you're going to start hearing noises or you're going to start seeing drips from underneath the car if you uh, don't keep care of it. And these are the probably these are the What would you rather have? And you, uh, Bud, you can chime in on this as well, but for both you guys, since you both work at mechanic shops, what would you rather have? A customer who comes in who thinks they know everything about their car and can self-diagnose it, or a customer that comes in that absolutely doesn't know anything about it and is completely absent-minded about any issues that it might have or the reasons why they've had those issues. Scott?
0: I would rather somebody not try to tell me what to do Job-wise, but if they have a general idea of the noise it's making, yeah, tell me that. But uh, I don't know; it depends I've, on their background. I've you definitely know? been there. I've had
2: people come in there and tell you how to do your job, and, and you know, like the uh, I had a really good uh, example of this. I had a guy come in and said, "Hey." Um, my ABS light came on, just replaced the sensor. And we're like, we're, he, you know, we're like, okay. He's like, yeah, it's, it's gotta be the back. Right. I think it's that one. Just replace it. Like came in with the part, which is another thing. That's not exactly very nice. And then we, we, uh, we get it, up, we get it up in the air and the wires cut the, the sensor is fine, but the wire, it looks like it was pinched by the brakes. So, oh, wow. or it was the uh, suspension. So it was that was a, that's a prime example of like you know like the, the thing was he was trying to get around the diagnostic fee. He didn't want us to diagnose it. He didn't want to pay us to, to diagnose the, the, the problem. He just wanted to he just wanted to throw a throw parts at it as we say. Well,
1: and I guess my, the further point of my question is, would you rather have a customer who comes in that you know neglects their car, neglecting I mean just doesn't pay attention to it at all? Uh, Or somebody that has a a fairly good idea, so that you're not going to come back at them with, say, "Okay, we found a list of all these things on your car that uh, you know you obviously had no idea about."
0: I don't know how to answer
1: that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. That's a tough question. And my point about bringing these questions up to you guys is because it's, it's so important to at least have some general idea of where your car's life is.
2: Yeah, and that's why it's great to have that, like, understand the maintenance schedule when you buy the car. You know, know that, you know, 60,000, you do the coolant or, you know, um, transmission fluid every 80,000 or 100,000, depending on, again, it depends on the car. You yeah. got to know the car itself and what it's going to need uh, maintenance-wise. Even down to the filters, you know, or at least... uh when when I mean like fuel filter is something that I think gets overlooked a lot, and a lot of people do that these days. And gas is filthy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I uh, I my other question for you guys and Scott, I've uh, you know, you've know you've seen my driveway before. I got a lot of drips underneath my yeah. truck. Uh, I've yep, got yep. I fixed those at least at uh, some point. I I had one of the major problems was my uh, rack and pinion. I got that replaced. I replaced it, and that and the drip stopped. Now they're starting to come back, but they're coming back in a different spot, and it's hard to kind of tell. If it's engine-related or if it's some sort of a pump that's leaking, I've diagnosed the fact that it's not a hose because I've followed all the hoses. Uh, But generally, when somebody comes in with a leak on a car or a truck that has 175,000-plus miles on it, generally speaking,
2: where is the issue that you look first?
0: A radiator or just really pressure up the whole system
2: yeah i I, I kind of agree with that. You just throw there's uh, basically a replacement radiator cap that you can pressurize. and uh, you just start you start looking for it for a dripping out. So, right. uh,
1: but I, I guess what I'm getting to is uh, if, if uh, how do you, how do you determine uh, or what's the quickest and easiest way if, if it's just somebody like me who wants to try to figure out where it is coming from without that kind of equipment uh, at my house, you know what I'm saying? Without getting really up in there and looking at it and saying, okay, this is an oil leak. This is uh, I can tell it's already not a radiator leak, <laughs> but you looked at it and you thought it was like a yellow color or, or orange color. I thought it was a, that's little- what I was going to the, the colors will uh, help you determine,
0: right? Right, right. That's where I was going to go with that is pay attention to what color it is and actually what the actual uh, fluid feels like. Uh, you know, antifreeze is kind of slick, but oil is really slick. Uh, you know, and power steering fluid is pretty really slick. But yeah. color-wise is a good way to go with it.
1: Okay. All right. Well, listen, man, we appreciate you jumping on with us again. Scott, as always, here on the Motor Mouths, you uh, find Scott and his services at the Shop of Memphis. They're at 1635 Bonnie Lane. And uh,
2: we'll have you on again, Scott. Thanks, buddy.
0: Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. All right, man. We'll right. talk
2: to you. Dude, I tell you, I was watching the uh, those auctions all week, and it's absolutely ridiculous. These The prices on these cars are out of control. I know it's a total shift in tone here, but I was thinking about it. Uh, we're seeing Mercedes, S uh, the those old 60s SL Mercedes going for $1.3 million. Uh, I, all these old, like, 60s muscle cars, I'm seeing them hit, you know, six figures regularly. I saw a Corvette. Uh, resto mod Corvette go for like, like 325 grand. And uh, it's absolutely blowing my mind. We really got to get we really got to get uh, Steven back on here and talk more about these car auctions because um, I definitely feel out of my element watching these things.
1: Well, the used car market is uh, a lot of people are getting par- priced right out of the used car market. We're talking, you're talking about collector's car auctions, but even just the used car market where people are in the market, of, I'm reading, who are looking for just a, a, a replacement automobile. It's their daily uh, driver. Daily driver. Uh, the prices are going up even so high in that marketplace that uh, people are getting priced out of the market to getting something that they could have afforded. You know, if you can't afford a brand new car and you're looking at something cheaper or maybe a a kid in your family is about ready to start driving, you want something really cheap, it's tough to find those right now.
2: You know, I find myself wondering um, what this is doing to the salvage title market because I know we were talking about that before – whether or not uh, it's, a, it's worth it to buy a car with a salvage title, and, and I've always heard it's hard to offload those, but I'm actually considering looking into it at this point because that's just an, an uh, almost, I wouldn't say an untapped market, but a potentially untapped market. But you got to be careful about what you're getting yourself into.
1: And then there's other uh, salvage title questions with, uh, with regards to insuring a salvage title car. Right. Uh, and the cost that that's going to uh, run up as well. So, uh, yeah, it's been, a, we've had an interesting discussion today. If you want to chime in on any of the stuff you want to uh, add to it, uh, make other suggestions, we love to hear your input. You can always text us on our Rick's Powder Coating text line. That's 901
2: 683 098. 9. We're all over social media. You can find me at Bud Motormouth on Twitter. You can email me at BudRoar at gmail.com, and you can find us on the TheMotormouths.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your projects. We want to see them. Want to see projects? Want to hear how you're
1: doing? And, and if you have other uh, suggestions for an upcoming show here on The Motor Mouths, that's the place to get that info to us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we are The Motor Mouths on News Talk 98.9, The Roar of Memphis.